This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome into episode number 119 here in the Huskies Warming House podcast. Moving into the second week of July here on the show, Noah Grant alongside Nick Maxson, uh, who looks like he's about to mug somebody in an alley, but uh, sun's out, guns out, uh, I suppose, if that's the, the case here. But it's it's starting to warm up around here, don't you? In the hockey world, too, nonetheless, Nick. Um, but yeah, yeah. So- about that we have a lot of stuff to talk about um yes yeah and a lot of interesting tidbits both minnesota wild and otherwise um you know the title of this episode is when it rains it pours and it's not often that i actually have the title of the show selected before the show has been written or recorded um but pretty obvious for this week a lot of stuff going on um a lot of extensions a lot of signings going on we'll talk about that in the early portions of the show uh, a trade and draft frenzy a lot of things going yes. on already a lot of movement in the national hockey league as well as one of the more intriguing drafts that we've had uh, since the salary cap era began. Um, moving on to some other things, too. I, I, Russian scares. Uh, a lot of interesting things coming uh, over on the other side of the world. And then our extra ice session. We're going to talk about some angry goaltenders and a little bit about, about how the Minnesota Wild actually did during draft day. You won't want to miss it all. And we start, as always, with Center Ice View News and Notes in the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Round. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. And notes, Noah, and uh, it's been 10 days since we last recorded. And as you mentioned, a lot of stuff has happened. Um, As we previewed, uh, lots of signings and extensions. Again, free agency opens up this upcoming Wednesday. So a lot of big names are out there, including unrestricted and restricted free agents. So let's talk about some of the big ones. We're first starting behind the bench. Um, Jim Montgomery, um, officially named head coach of the Boston Bruins, uh, 29th head coach in team history. Um, and then in subsequent news, sticking with Boston, how about this, Jake DeBrusque, who has uh, essentially requested a trade last uh, year, has rescinded mm-hmm. his trade request from the team um, after the news of Montgomery's hire. No, don't know if these are related per se, but um, he did sign a two-year, $4 million deal this offseason to stay in a Boston sweater. So a couple of things heading uh, in the right direction up there in the northeast part of the U.S., Let's head towards the uh, America's Wasteland. I'm not talking about North Dakota. I'm talking about Winnipeg. Um, uh, they, um, after 
essentially sort of missing out on what they thought was going to be uh, hiring a Barry Trotz. Yeah. Uh, able to grab their new coach. And uh, this one, I think, surprised me a little bit. No way. Rick yeah. Bonus, um, a two-year, $2.5 million deal, and a club option for a third year. Um, this is surprising to me. Um, just yeah. a quick couple of tidbits, right? For for Winnipeg, eighth coach in franchise history. Uh, this, uh, for bonus, uh, began his coach here with the original Winnipeg Jets, now the Arizona Coyotes or the Houston Arrows, whichever you want to go with, uh, <laughs> back in 1980. Also ended his NHL playing career in 1982 with, what do you think, the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah. So um, there's some ties there, um, but kind of shocking a bit, Noah, that and not necessarily Rick Bonus, but the fact that they got to that point, because you got to remember to the entire coaching staff of Dallas resigned. There were a lot of questions uh, surrounding the Dallas organization. And more importantly for Rick Bonus, was he ready to retire him? Well, with this news, he's still coaching. Yeah, we'll talk about this a little bit later with Vancouver coming up here. But it's kind of weird, too. The former Minnesota North Stars, now the Dallas Stars, and the current Minnesota Wild squad a lot of ties between those two teams splayed out around the National Hockey League in the last uh, decade or so, just with uh, all the hirings and, and firings and resignings and whatever. Um, and also interesting that both of our, you know, new coaching hires were the last two coaches of the Dallas Stars, right? And uh, yep. Jim Montgomery and then Rick Bonus. So um, it's been an interesting time uh, mm-hmm. in the coaching world. I think obviously losing out to Barry Trotz has a big implication on this, obviously. But mm-hmm. um, you wonder, you wonder if Rick Bonus was a guy that was high up on their radar behind Barry Trotz, or you wonder if maybe there was like a second circling back, if you will, or a second interview process that maybe kind of reshuffled the deck, so to speak. A lot of moving parts that I don't know that we'll particularly have the answer to. But uh, yeah, the Jets finishing sixth last year in the Central Division would like a lot better finish coming up next season. Agreed. And you, know, you kind of wonder too, you know, you wonder if this was more a Rickett decision and whether there was an offer before that, right? Even with Barry Trotz and whether... Yeah. Uh, Rick maybe needed some time to decompress from the situation um, after he resigned from Dallas. Um, And then, like you mentioned, we probably won't ever know the true answers to the situation, but congratulations to both the Jets and to Rick Bonas, who are going to be uh, with with each other now for the next two, if not three years. Uh, Speaking of relationships that are doomed tragedies, um, my goodness, San Jose. Now, you talk about coaching firings and you talk about timing right minnesota yeah. wild fans would know timing can be kind of weird uh and mm-hmm. when i say weird how about the paul fetton firing uh, just a couple of years ago back in 2019 in fact i was there in early august uh when that firing was announced in st paul and talking to uh the wild with craig leopold uh, again kind of shocking the timing right well san jose sharks not to be out sharked apparently uh <laughs> they fired head coach bob bugner um, after a 67, 85, and 23 record in 175 games, that's a 3-8-0 winning percentage. Not great. Yeah. Uh, never made the playoffs. So again, the Sharks have been really reeling since they made pushes up until the Stanley Cup final in 2017. Really have not been the same team since. They've lost a lot of their key players. They haven't really held on to a lot of their young uh, talent. They also gave up a lot of futures for those uh, deep playoff runs back in their early and mid-2000s, uh, 2010s, I should say. So... This is where, you know, every good deed doesn't go unpunished, right? Um, to pick up on things, and, and maybe I should do this, Noah. Before we get to this, um, I did watch the interview with interim GM uh, Joe Will. Um, he was the assistant GM um, with the San Jose Sharks acting uh, to try to get um, to our next piece of news, the new GM hired. 
um, they were asked about the timing of this. And it does seem to paint the picture that with the GM hiring process, um, they were getting a lot of feedback as to where this organization was and where they thought they needed to move in a different direction. So I'm not sure if that's an indictment on Bob Wugner and the coaching staff and yeah. on the San Jose Sharks organization as a whole, but very surprising to make this move now where San Jose, not to say that, you know, there's other coaches that are out there that haven't had an NHL job before, but you do wonder the timing, right? So I think we'll touch on this in a second. Mm -hmm. uh, but in doing so, they did hire uh, GM Doug Wilson's replacement. Again, here's resigning mostly due to medical issues. Um, Mike Greer, um, a yeah. former Stark himself, um, spent three years with the club um, on the ice. It's part of his 14-year NHL career. Uh, first black GM in NHL history. This is a big deal. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like uh, the Greer family um, brother is a, uh, a GM in Florida. Um, his dad was a general manager, too. So there's some family ties here and success. And uh, uh, they need it. Uh, the San Jose Sharks is in a pretty mm -hmm. tough situation uh, moving forward. Now, before taking this GM job, he's not fresh, uh, you know, off uh, retirement. He's worked for Chicago, New Jersey, and the Rangers as uh, in front office position. So he's got some experience. He's had some you know, polishing of, of the, you know, of the craft per se. But uh, Noah, your thoughts on the timing of the coach's fire and, and maybe some comments also on Mike Greer being the, the first black coach in NHL history. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, timing bit, obviously, because we kind of went through the flurry of coaching hires and the best available, so to speak. But like you talked about, I mean, Doug Wilson stepping down, uh, you know, hasn't been recent, but it also hasn't been that far removed from us first hearing about it, too. So you wonder if that process was just kind of taking its time. And like you said, as as that feedback kind of, uh, you know, indicated, uh, maybe a change was in the win. When you have a 380 winning percentage, and some of that comes down to, you know, just the core that you're given and the San Jose Sharks inherently are a very flawed hockey team right now. Like you they said, um, ever since the 2016 Stanley Cup final where they lost in game six to Pittsburgh on home ice uh, in that final. So, you know, it's interesting to me that, uh, you know, you would do it right essentially as draft day and draft weekend is winding up and winding down, so to speak. Um, but, you know, it's better late than never. I mean, to be honest, we're still at the, you know, barely into the second week of July. Um, and this is uh, plenty of time for them to find a replacement for a new head coach. And sometimes, as odd as it is to know that usually the teams that have to fill their coaching hires first sometimes get the big fish in the market, sometimes being the last dog at the bowl can reap some uh, unforeseen rewards sometimes where you get to pick up somebody that uh, maybe is a reclamation project, so to speak, or someone who maybe is a candidate out of left field that suddenly becomes a very perfect fit for this squad. So a lot of things going on San Jose, some positive, some negative, but it's been a whirlwind week uh, uh, down in Southern California. Very wild. And, and speaking of, you know, when it rains, it pours, right? You talk about mm -hmm. news for San Jose. This one, definitely not of the best type. Uh, the death of former um, player and scout Brian Marchman, um, only at age 53. Um, he was attending the initial draft in Montreal. Um, obviously, don't know exactly what happened. A 17-year NHL veteran from two, uh, 1989 to 2006. Um, nine teams that he played with, again, including San Jose. A very close one of newly hired GM Mike Greer. 
um, unexpected. And again, uh, still don't know um, any cause uh, of death at this moment. So we do uh, wish uh, the family, the friends, and anybody that uh, Brian Marshman touched uh, all the thoughts uh, here from the Huskies Women's Podcast. A tough situation for sure. Yeah, definitely a difficult situation, especially, uh, you know, when things are unexpected like that. Obviously, you know, going to the NHL draft, as exciting as it is for young players, it's exciting for scouts to put, you know, their year's work on the line, so to speak, and be able to kind of influence those sort of things. And you wonder if San Jose's picks, obviously, were influenced by that, too, in this year's upcoming draft. But a very difficult day for hockey when anyone passes away, but especially at that age and someone who who is well-loved within the organization, it's always a difficult time. Time. So uh, the San Jose Sharks, both personally and professionally, um, have a lot of uh, things to kind of consider, uh, things to kind of sit back and reflect on, and then uh, kind of being able to pick up the pieces and kind of turn over a new leaf for this squad. So uh, you do wish the family the best, and you also wish the organization the best, both on and off the ice, because there's a lot of moving parts for them right now. Yes, there is. Uh, speaking of moving parts, some parts moving from one team to another. Uh, Vancouver adding Mike Yo, yes, as an assistant <laughs> coach to Bruce Boudreau uh, with the NHL club. Um, again, I've said it before. Um, Mike Yo, he keeps getting jobs because he knows hockey. Yeah. Now, whether he can communicate that or whether he can build a rapport with his players, again, is, is well documented. That, that seems to be the problem, but um, yeah. he keeps getting looks. And so there you go. Um, former head, uh, Chicago head coach Jeremy Colleton, now named the um, head coach of the Abbotsford um, uh, in the AHL. So that will be, uh, him getting actually pretty high rung after a, a pretty tough time in Chicago. Um, again, I'm, I'm not sure Jeremy Colleton was also given the best card to deal with as well as Chicago, uh, is in this certainly full rebuild mode. We're definitely going to talk about that later in the show. Um, and the Canucks, how about this also made <laughs> waves this past week. This is kind of a fun topic, uh, drafting defenseman Elias Pettersson, Yes, same as their number one center um, with the 80th overall pick. Um, two have never met. And uh, I think another fun nugget was, and I think they were there was probably a little bit of a preparation for this, but they asked Elias Pedersen, the current um, uh, Elias Pedersen of Vancouver's roster, who his favorite player was, and he said Elias Pedersen. So that was kind of fun. <laughs> um, moving on forward here, uh, Toronto promoting Hall of Fame inductee Haley Weckenheiser and two others to assistant GM positions within the organization. And also adding a new goaltending coach of so Toronto, making some uh, also some executive moves as well. So um, these things, this is the time where these things happened and some exi- exciting times to run the league. Yeah, so that will do it for the executive news. Uh, over to player signings and extensions, a lot of them, obviously, as we move into uh, the heart of summer. Uh, as far as the Minnesota Wild are concerned, we're going to talk about the Wild's moves uh, kind of in this in the, in the summer non-moves. phase. Yeah, yeah. later in the show. So we'll touch on them uh, at the tail end of the main portion of the show and moving into the extra ice session. Other teams around the National Hockey League, let's start with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Step one is done. Uh, uh, It's a big step, but also a baby step at the same time. Don't really know how that works. It's a a diagonal step. Can we call it that? Uh, 35-year-old. 35-year-old Chris Letang uh, was given a six. Yes, you got that right. What the hell? Six-year contract um, with a $6.1 million average annual value. He'll be 41 by the end of this deal. Now, he did have a career-high 68 points last season, which for some reason seems odd. Like, I feel like you would think at some point he had a season that was better than 68 points. In fact, Ryan Suter, I believe, had a 
season in which he had tallied more points than 68. So, like, that's kind of wild. Um, seventh yeah. in Norris Trophy voting this season. Um, the team did also re-sign netminder Casey DeSmith to a two-year $3.6 million deal. So what does this mean for the Pens here, Nick? Uh, $15.3 million in projected cap space. Uh, Evgeny Malkin is the big one in the UFA category. Um, Ricard Raquel is also a UFA, and Kasperi Kapanen and Denton Heinen are both RFAs. So what's going on with Malkin? Well, he's been in the news recently as well. Uh, apparently, the the original offer uh, was two years at six mil average annual value. That has now been up to three years at that same value. Evgeny Malkin um, is not particularly enamored with the term. Apparently the price point is all right. It's the term that's becoming a problem here. Um, and apparently uh, a bunch of teammates had texted Malkin and said, okay, you know, all these guys are getting signed, you know, when's your deal, you know, kind of excited and, you know, hopefully getting him back to the team. And he texted uh, his teammates and said, they think I'm not good anymore. Um, and negotiations, you know, have stalled after that offer. And even Sidney Crosby visited Malkin at his home in South Florida, um, not to persuade him to sign a deal, but kind of just to give him comfort because apparently he's a little on edge here. So a lot of moving parts behind the scenes. And Malkin's biggest issue was that Mario Lemieux kind of gave him this offer and said, we're going to take care of you, even when he had that major knee construction and injury back in 2020 and moving into 2021, uh, the same knee he re-aggravated about a decade prior. Um, mm -hmm. He did still put up 20 points in his uh, return uh, back in the in the final third or fourth of the season on a leg that wasn't so great and really is kind of rehabbing and recharging for the season. Unfortunately, it was his contract year. Um, I don't know which is more challenging. Will Chris Letang somehow be the ageless wonder and live out the no. life of this contract? Or no. is Evgeny Malkin a little bit too broken and maybe should he take this deal or does he have a case he's still a good hockey player but his injury is injury point i think is really scaring the pens off well and the thing about chris Latang's contract it's very front loaded too right so yeah. in terms of salary um so in other words uh you know kind of the team and, and chris Latang get the best of both worlds a little bit because then that deal becomes tradable essentially after year three yeah um in terms of eating salary and also cap hits so you know vegas and tampa will be trading for that contract no question um but again this is a this is a difficult decision right and this, we've talked about this before on the show of whether malkin's injury is going to hamper his value and it, it definitely is um and at the end of it surprising because if you think about it in the NFL, you can restructure contracts at essentially whenever, right? Whereas an NHL contract, when it's signed, it's a fully guaranteed contract, right? Yeah. So um, the thing that's, I think, scaring the Penguins a bit is no different than you have a Chris Letang, who he's a 35-year-old on a six-year deal. Whoa, you have Malkin that is made of broken glass right now. Yeah, and um, pushing and 36, yeah. And pushing 36. So, um so is this upper management, you know, trying to keep, you know, the, the, the same boys in the clubhouse there for another run at the cup? Um, again, they've been ousted the last, what, four or five uh, years in a row in the first round. Yeah. Um, so Penguins fans and the team also understand that they're approaching a transition. We haven't even talked about Sidney Crosby yet, right? Yeah, so, who, who, who's, who's 34. And I got to be honest, if I'm Evgeny Malkin, and I get it, you want your money, I understand. And the extra year obviously means a lot. But, you know, 
18 million dollars guaranteed and i know they don't get all of that money but six mil average annual value uh up until you're uh, roughly 39 years old and then you know maybe you're at a million dollars a year after that depending on where you're at i think that's more than fair for a guy who's earned his keep and has had a heck of a career you know and i'm not saying malkin should take it i understand players have rights and they want to make their money because they retire earlier than most when it comes to their careers but um, you know, I don't think that's the, it, that it's the Penguins don't want him. It's that the Pens have to think about the future. And unfortunately, with this aging core, Evgeny Malkin is not the center core piece anymore. And I think the offer is fair value for a guy who has given his all in a pen sweater and does. I think it's a very respectful offer for him. So I hope to see him back in a Penguin sweater and I hope uh, it all works out. So, um, you know. Uh, somebody who I think got very fair market value, and this is a very yes. good signing for the National Predators here, um, re-upping superstar Philip Forsberg, eight years, $8.5 million per season. Uh, if he lives out the life of the contract, he will play a total of 18 years with the Predators. He's already played 10 so far. Uh, 27 years old, 42 goals, 42 assists, 84 points in 69 games this season. He was one shy of tying the team-leading goals, and he uh, had nine fewer games than the guy who did it in Matt Duchesne. So uh, the Washington Capitals uh, infamously drafted him 11th overall in 2012 oh. before trading him for Martin Erat and Michael Latta in April of 2013. I cannot <laughs> wait to see the Steve Dangle trade tree oh, yeah. in about 10 years with this. Yeah, seriously. Um, you talk about some of the worst trade values um, in history. In fact, one of those happened just a few days ago. We'll talk about that, too. Um, but my goodness, Washington, what in the heck were you doing? You know, and it's, it's funny because I was reading through the comments, you know, after this was posted for the deal and there's so many guy, uh, people in the comments who were like, this is a terrible deal. Why would they give him all this money? The guy had 84 points in 69 games. Wake the F up. Don't get a 42 goal (laughs) score proven in the NHL off of the shelf very often. Yeah, and, and he's in an, his and he's an undersized guy, so to speak, and he's a superstar in the National Hockey League. You know, like so that's yeah, on a team that is very middling. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah. great signing for the Predators and excited for them long term. Uh, Los Angeles, uh, every Minnesota Wild fans' favorite right now. Uh, Adrian Kempe, uh-huh. four-year extension, five point five million annually, fifty-four points contract. and seventy-eight games played for him. He's twenty-five years old, so good for him. Uh, getting some money here. Uh, Brock Besser, the Minnesota native, uh, admittedly had a difficult season off the ice. A pretty good second half, actually, though, after Bruce Boudreaux came into the uh, helm there. A three-year extension worth just under $20 million total, um, which includes a 10-team no-trade list in 2024-25. 46 points in 71 games, so what was considered a slightly down year for him was still somewhat productive on a Vancouver team that was, again, very middling as well, too. So 25 years of age, and uh, pretty good pickup for him. But yeah, a lot of the off-ice things uh, with the passing of his dad uh, and things like that. It's been a difficult road for him. Um, So you kind of wish him the best uh, moving forward. Um, Yeah, turns out, Nick, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, um, they really like Nick Paul, apparently. Uh, Yeah, they do. uh, I thought he was actually really good for him, too. Yeah, seven-year extension worth $3 million per season. Uh, Wow, okay, fourth-line money getting paid. You'd love to see it. Um, If he continues to play the way that he is, that's a steal for uh, the Bulls, I think. Um, 
Uh, Adam Boakvist uh, in Columbus, three-year deal, uh, $2.6 million per year. Colorado bringing back 35-year-old Andrew Cogliano for just a single season. Um, Etu Luo Sartainen, uh, Florida, <laughs> two-year extension. That is such a difficult name. Uh, and Ottawa planning to waive and buy out 26-year-old Colin White. This is an interesting one here. Three seasons remaining, $4.75 million per year. Never really panned out as the guy that they expected when they drafted him 21st overall in 2015. Correct. Had 28 points in 69 games played over the past two seasons and has had some health issues, but why did they buy him out at this point? Uh, the, he's still an RFA, so the Sens only pay a third of his contract in the buyout, saving over $3 million per season for the next three years. So we talk about... Uh, uh, savvy moves. The Sens just pulled one here, except for the fact that they barely get over the cap floor every year. So, I mean, correct. But, you know, <laughs> you know and I think, I think if, if I can make one correction here, no, I think it's not the RFA status. I think it's because he's not 26 or not 27 or is it, I think it's more age related at this time when he signed his. Yeah. Team. It's, it's age related, but like, he's also an RFA status sure. on top um, of that. Yeah. So, right. Because, because if he, so for example, uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember what it is. Uh, maybe there's still an RFA at 26. I thought there was something in there where it's like, you can become a UFA if you play X number of years in the league. Like if you come in at 18, but it's played. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, yeah, it depends on so many different things. It's, it's not yeah. even follow, we'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, a nice little move for a guy that unfortunately has not been productive. I think he's a guy that maybe might still find a home, maybe like Arizona, you know, maybe a guy that maybe some team just kind of takes a chance on as a fourth line guy and see if he can maybe kind of rekindle a career. Um, he would be a low risk um, for the team in terms of his contract. Um, as yeah. you know, he's had some injury issues, which hasn't helped. Um, for Colin White, and I think, um, especially with all the teams against the cap, he actually might be more sought off, sought after than maybe we realize, just because he might be just a financially good option for a lot of teams. Yeah, he kind of reminds me of like, uh, oh, a couple of years ago from Minnesota, maybe like an Eric Fair kind of guy. Yeah, uh, you know, maybe just uh, fits in well in that bottom six and can kind of just be a utility player that maybe adds some value. Maybe Alex Galchenyuk is another comparable, although I think Galchenyuk maybe had a little bit more pure skill. Um, than Colin White does, but we'll have to see uh, moving forward. Second to last topic here, a guy who had plenty of skill in his uh, career. Let's just put it that way. Retirement news. Uh, this one kind of surprised me a tad, to be honest with you. Uh, Edmonton's Duncan Keith called it a career. 17 seasons, 737 points, and just over 1,400 NHL games. 38 years of age. I thought maybe he'd have a year or two left in him. Three Stanley Cups, two Olympic gold medals, two Norris trophies, and a Conn Smythe Award to go on top of that uh, cherry flavored cake, whatever you want to call it. Uh, future Hall of Famer, one year left on his contract. Uh, so Edmonton actually saves $5.5 million this season. Chicago, uh, they owe that amount in cap recapture this year and $1.9 million the next, but they do have ample cap space, so it shouldn't really bother them. But uh, Duncan Keith, uh, slightly polarizing at times, not the most fluid of skater, but uh, made a heck of a career out of it. He was a battler. I think that was the big thing, and that also partly got him in trouble a few times, including yeah. uh, with the Minnesota Wild a few times. So, yeah, um, as you mentioned, not not the most uh, fleet of foot, but uh, his angles are good, and especially, um, you know, he was a guy that commanded, um, you know, that you were whatever you were going to be on the edge with the corners in front of the net. Um, had good offensive ability too. Um, had a good shot. So. He had good elements to his game, and like you know, I was slightly surprised when you look at you know his his accolades: three cups, two Olympic golds, two Norris trophies, a Conn Smythe. Um, that's a heck of a run at 38 years yeah. old. You know, 
Uh, I know that uh, Duncan Keith, uh, you, know, you talk about the fleet of foot thing. Uh, you definitely, at that age, you, you lose a step or two. Um, so I think maybe he decided that, you know, hey, I've, I've, I've done what I could do and it's time to, yeah. you know, go drink pina coladas on the beach somewhere. That's, yeah. That's okay too. <laughs> well, regardless of your salary, there's always a good time to do that. But, uh, yes. you know, you know, it's interesting, Duncan Keith, uh, on the on the other end of that line, as you mentioned, probably most remembered for the slash on Jeff Carter at center yes. ice and then the slash breaking Charlie Coyle's nose, yeah. uh, a couple of stick swing incidents on the other side. But uh, congratulations to Duncan, heck of a career, wishing him the best of luck. Uh, final topic here very quickly, our final NHL award, the Jim Gregory General Manager of the Year. Uh, the winner was announced during round one of the NHL draft this past week. Uh, Colorado's Joe Sackick was the winner by no surprise, taking the crown from Islanders Lou Lamorello, who won in back-to-back seasons. That's just interesting. Um, <laughs> Tampa's Julian Breezewad, New York Rangers Chris Drury were second and third, followed by Ken Holland, Bill Zito, and who else? But Bill Guerin in Edmonton, Florida, and Minnesota. Welcome into the main portion of the show, episode 119. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant. Uh, Nick, pleasure to have you on the show as always. Um, we did mention uh, on Twitter, for those who didn't know, that we did have a big announcement coming up on the show. Well, we had a lot happen in the hockey world. Jesus criminy, do we have a lot of yeah. stuff. So um, we're trying to kind of plow through the show. Um, this information is still important, but there's a lot of developments here, but it does relate to both Nick and it does relate to our show. So we're going to kind of put that off a little bit until next week. You're not going to want to miss it. It's a really interesting topic um, and a lot of good things cooking in the oven from what it sounds like. So um, we're going to definitely push that off until next week. Um, as far as uh, recording times for us, we're probably going to either record Friday night or Saturday night as usual and a, and a Sunday release. I'm going to imagine probably a Sunday release. As far as we know, we'll keep you updated. Find us at Warming House Den as always. But Nick, as much as I would love to talk about what you are up to uh, with your uh, sleeves cut off of your shirt. Um, Nothing to talk about. Uh, yeah, but we got we got some crazy stuff uh, going on in the hockey world. So let's jump right into it. Some trade insanity. I kind of broke it down. Um, what happened uh, before the draft? What happened during the draft? Uh, and what happened after the draft? And during the draft, we're going to talk about the top four picks as well, too, because apparently something happened. Uh, let's start. Oh, did it? Yeah, I, I don't know. Oh, I, I was sleeping. I um, <laughs> I definitely wasn't sleeping. In fact, I think it was just getting off work. And then I was sleeping. But nonetheless, yes. um, before the draft, uh, about a week prior-ish, uh, Tampa Bay started us off with doing what Tampa does best. Uh, Ryan McDonough heading to Nashville. A uh, good pickup for the Preds if he continues to play the way he has. He is getting a bit older. But uh, for D-man Philippe Myers and former UND fighting hot Grant Mishmash, uh, McDonough has four years left, 6.75 million average annual value, 33 years of age. So if he can stay healthy and kind of stay in form, I think it'll be a great pickup for the Preds for sure. For the first couple of years, I think, uh, you never know as mm -hmm. you push, you know, 35, 36, 37, we'll see. Um, Myers, 27 games last year in the show has a lot of upside. Apparently, according to Tampa, the thought was they were going to buy him out, but I don't think that's the case. Uh, and Grant Mismash has uh, had a slightly tumultuous ride, 12 points in 57 AHL games, so still trying to find his footing there. So, uh, Nick, let's start with this one very quickly. Uh, Tampa's not going to buy him out. Uh, does Fleet Myers have a shot in this uh, Lightning lineup? And is Ryan McDonough a great pickup for the Preds? It is because you need some depth behind Roman Yossi um, and Ryan Ellis uh, there for, for Nashville. Uh, and again, Ryan McDonough, you talk about, 
um, after that trade was announced and how many teammates uh, from Tampa, you know, essentially were like, what in the heck? I mean, he's a leader. Um, You know, he's a guy that, you know, he, he doesn't speak much, but when he does, people listen. He's a guy that just leads by example. He's, he's always been that way. Again, former Cretan Durham Hall star here in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Um, again, he, a two-time Stanley Cup winner. Um, he's uh, he's he's been injured. Um, he's he's been you know a little bit susceptible to that. He's not the best skater, um, but grinds. He battles, um, and he's a guy that will do whatever he can do to help the team. So uh, this is a great pickup for uh, for Nashville. Uh, tough to for for Tampa to see him go because. And we'll probably get to this too um, more next week than we would uh, uh, this week. But obviously, Tampa trying to clear cap space to uh, try to re-sign Andre Palat. And it sounds like Palat may be testing free agent market. So you know, if this is you know, this could be a, a time where does Tampa have cap space that they're not using LTIR on? What the hell? Um, so you know, you know, it's interesting because. Uh, you know, at some point, I'm sure we'll do a prediction of who we think is going to win the Stanley Cup next season. My bet is, uh, you know, I don't know who's going to win the Cup, but I can probably pick one of the finalists. Just depends wherever Corey Perry goes. Um, speaking of sure. McDonough's former team, the New York Rangers, uh, they traded netminder Alex Georgiev uh, to Colorado for two third rounders and a fifth rounder in the wow. draft. Um, he posted a career worst 898 save percentage in 33 games this season, 26 years of age, owns a 908 over the course of his career, certainly dampered a little bit by last season, 129 appearances over five NHL seasons. Um, Darcy Kemper apparently will now test free agency for Colorado based on the cap space. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, you have Pavel Franco who's there uh, in Colorado right now as well. Uh, and Joe Sackick feels confident in uh, the new addition and the current mainstay. And Darcy Kemper seems like he's on his way out. So um, he is on his way out. Um, I have uh, some sources that tell me, you know, mind you, Darcy Kemper's agent is Ben Hankinson, who, again, is based here in Edina, Minnesota. Yeah. Um, plenty of uh, Minnesota folks will know that name. Um, from the information I'm hearing is that Kemper is looking at a contract at somewhere in the five to six million dollar range. I question I that, is I don't know that he's that good. <laughs> here's the thing. Um, I think you can make the argument that Darcy Kemper helped Colorado get to the cup oh, final. For sure. Now yeah. on the other side of the coin, and I think this is the bigger question, Noah. I'm not sure the argument is whether he deserves that money. Now I'm still with you. I still have my my doubts yeah but what team can afford him besides the arizona the arizona SSA, arizona state people well the edmonton oilers who now just cleared five and a half yeah. million in cap space and need a goalie right. badly need a goalie badly um, so you know there you, go. you know it's interesting uh and darcy kemper really has kind of claimed to fame a little bit in los angeles but really when he went to arizona is kind of when he became the rec- reclamation project that he was and he wasn't bad in minnesota either i think minnesota wild fans fail to realize that is that sure he wasn't a lights out guy it was maybe more of a backup guy at but, the time yeah but you know he he really was a solid 1b goaltender in the national hockey league now was he aided by a very damn good colorado team in front of him absolutely yes. um and was he much of a factor in the cup final i wouldn't go as far as to say that he was but he got the job done and sometimes that's all you ask of a goaltender is to not give up the poor goals and you know Andre Vasilevsky for example on the other side for Tampa Bay made some sparkling saves but he had a little bit of shakes in the first round against Toronto a little Mm -hmm. bit at spurts against the Rangers and then really kind of didn't look like himself in the Stanley Cup final now did he finally meet his match and 
you can only do so much against a really good team like Colorado. But at the same time, Darcy Kemper, for the most part, besides really the Jan Ruda slap shot in game five, really mm-hmm. didn't look like he cracked under a lot of pressure and battled through some injury pieces in the first couple of rounds too. So, you know, yeah. he held his own. I think for me, I would say like, Four, 4.2 million a season, I think, is fair for him coming off a Stanley Cup winning season, I think would be uh, good. But let's not forget the Seattle Kraken. Uh, they grabbed a former Colorado Avalanche netminder as well and ran with that biscuit at close to $6 million per season. So the goalie market has definitely really changed uh, when it yes. comes to that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. He's not coming to the Wild, I'll tell you that much. No. Um, yeah. No. Um, let's talk about the Wild's uh, current rival. Um, this is just a little minor story. Uh, 24-year-old Alex Alex Debrinket, uh, he's headed to Ottawa. Um, in fact, it's already signed, still and delivered. For the 2022 seventh overall pick, um, Kevin Chor- Korchinski was the selection there, a second rounder and a 2024 third rounder. Now, people are what, pe- people are wondering about this. You know, Nick, and, and I'm with you. I mean, Debrinket is a core piece to build a team around, especially yes. for the Hawks. And the Hawks have a, have a storied history of giving away players for a lot less than what their value is. I mean, you look at uh, Philip Deneau, you look at Artemi Panarin, you look mm-hmm. at Brandon Saad until he came back yeah. and then left again. You know, a lot of, I don't know what why Chicago likes to offer some of these contracts but here's the thing uh kevin korchinski um 84 points in 92 contests uh for the seattle thunderbirds in the whl as a defense he's a defenseman comparable to shea theodore six foot two 185 still has a bit room to grow um the quote that was given by the organization he's really puck friendly he'll be a first unit power play guy projects to be a first pairing d-man eat some minutes He's got a long body, so I think the ceiling is there. Character references, even from teammates that we looked at this year. He's a rink rat. He's their early shooting pucks, nicknames for everybody. He's a hockey junkie through and through. That's some high praise there. Now I know a lot of guys at that level obviously are like that. I like the selection. He's a guy that becomes the high end of the prospect pool for Chicago. They didn't pick a bad guy with the pick that they got. They lose a hell of a hockey player in Alex Dabrinkit. I think this one's going to sting if he continues to become the player that we think he's going to be. But as far as what Chicago did with the assets that they got, not terrible. Not, not great either. I think you know, they like, got more. Um, you know, and, and this is – and I'm going to stick to my guns here. I still yeah. think to bring it, his value was highest here. I still don't think – now, granted, with Korchansky, I'm, so, well, I'm yeah. with you here. It's a great pick. Yeah. I don't think <sighs> – so the, re- so the reason being, and sorry to interrupt you, the reason being that a lot of people think that Chicago didn't get more is there was not a guaranteed extension or re-signing from Alex Debrink after the sense. So, yep, so, so he could definitely walk in a year when his contract is up. And I think that was the one piece that stuck that extra player or prospect or pick that you're talking about there. And I think that's why a lot of people think Chicago get fle- got fleeced. And don't get me wrong, the Hawks definitely come out on the worst side of this deal right now at the current moment. But how many times have we said that where it actually does end up panning out for a team? I think the Hawks are headed in a slightly wrong direction at the current moment. But again, you never really know until down the line. And Alex Dabrinkat, I mean, you never know. He could not pan out in Ottawa. Like you you just, you have no idea at this point. But right now it looks like the Hawks did get fleeced a little bit. Well, and here's the other thing too. You know, we also mentioned on this show, Noah, that if they do indeed trade Debrinket, and that wasn't their only move, they also uh, traded Kirby Doc as well. Um, these are two younger people, you know, younger pieces that 
normally if you're going to do a rebuild, these are the types of talents you build a, a team around, right? So mm. when you when to bring it, yes, to bring it. Now, let me rephrase that slightly because I'm I'm not necessarily talking Kirby Doc, and in terms of his individual skill set, I'm talking about younger pieces. Yeah. So my core is. If you're signaling to the hockey world that I'm about to, I traded a 42, a, a 40 goal scorer in Dabrinkit. I traded Kirby Doc, who's had his ups and downs. Let's let's yeah. be real with that, right? We'll but talk about him in just a second, by the way. Um, but now the spotlight is on two players, and those two players are Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves. I think you and I both know we've talked, we did a breakdown of this a couple weeks ago on the show that you know they're in, their, in uh, they're entering their last year of ten million dollar deals. Um, I think, I mean, I think it's pretty safe to say that Chicago was signaling a full fledged rebuild. Yeah. I would, I mean, I, you yeah, have, you but have I to mean, think that way. I mean, I mean, do Kane and Taves really have anything to prove? They both have three Stanley cups to their name. They've done everything well, in Chicago sweater to be that's done. That's what I mean. You know, is, like, and I think honestly, the, the player that is more tradable is Patrick Kane. I think he has more left in the tank to prove. I think Jonathan Taves is sort of like, the namesake, I, I think he yeah. sticks around. I don't think again he missed a whole season. Um, he still hasn't yeah. been the he's, same player. He's kind of he's like a middle six guy. He's like a maybe a third line sentiment on a team that's looking for a rental to go all the way. You know, right? If and I would think it would be hard for the team to trade. Yeah, retain, retaining salary would have to be a big probably, yeah. um, especially this year. Um, but I would imagine that one, if not both of those are definitely got the spotlight on now. And for Chicago, my goodness, um, mm. I'm not sure the wrong direction, but again, you, you talk about a team that had hell, oh, one hell of a decade, three Stanley cups, 2010, 2013, 2015. Again, at some point we talked about Pittsburgh earlier They're trying to avoid this per se yeah. um you know the changing of the guard but chicago it sounds like they made the decision that that's where they're headed um so yeah um i think they sh they could have gotten more i think they probably should have done a siding trade that would have helped them re uh, get more assets back and i'm also a little surprised too noah they didn't get any immediate help back it was all mm -hmm. draft picks and so i think again when you talk about what does what they get back, what does that signal? I think it does really, in my mind, cement the fact that this is indeed um, a lot more to come from Chicago as we head through this next season. First big move for Kyle Davidson uh, at the helm in the general manager position. So that was all before Thursday morning. The NHL draft was held that day, and uh, the top pick ended up not being the top pick, depending on who you ask. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens, um, Slavovsky, uh, from Finland, a left winger. He was the first overall pick. Um, and you know, I think, you know, I don't know if you would say he was the better player, but it seemed like he was a guy who maybe checked more of the boxes for a lot of teams, especially as we got closer to the draft. Of course, Shane Wright, exceptional status. Um, he fell to fourth for the Seattle Kraken. Um, Nemec, who fell uh, to number two for the New Jersey Devils, a defenseman, and then Logan Cooley, uh, the future Minnesota Golden Gopher, who is actually going to have twice as much seating in the current building he's about to play as the team that drafted him, the Arizona Coyotes. You know, it's interesting, Nick, because Shane Wright could very well be a, a great pickup for the Seattle Kraken, and they still get a very quality player in him, you know, moving into that four spot. And his quote, he was very positive and upbeat and said, you know what, I'm going to go out and get it, and I'm going to be the player they look back 20 years later in this draft class and be the best player in this draft. I love that confidence from him. But 
you kind of got the sense, you know, especially once Montreal went with um, Slavkovsky that like they did, uh, you knew that it was about to be an interesting shakeup. New Jersey needed a defenseman badly. They went for their defenseman, the guy that they felt was going to be the best fit for the organization. Normally you draft best available, but sometimes when you have a couple of guys who are, you know, top four or five, top tier, a league above the rest, you kind of look at those guys and say, Best available, sure, but maybe best available by position still might be the right play here for this group. Nothing that's separated from those maybe two to five spots. Exactly. And the Arizona Coyotes, I think, probably did the majority of their scouting on Logan Cooley, expecting that he might be their guy at number three and really liked the package that they saw and the Seattle Kraken maybe felt like maybe they got a gift at number four. We'll have to see. So, um, you know, was it intriguing for you that Shane Wright fell to four or was there more to this than meets the eye? I think last week when Bob McKenzie posted his final draft rankings, when that's really where the shakeup began. Yeah, Corey was. Pronman too from the athletic. Yes. Yeah. And the big thing that we saw, and this was sort of an agreement and it's, it's being misconstrued a little bit, Noah, because mm-hmm. uh, Shane Wright, he's not the smallest guy by any means, uh, but you know, they talked a little bit about sort of, I don't know if work ethic is the right way to put it, but essentially winning battles. Um, Slavkovsky um, for Montreal, he's a power forward. Um, He's a guy that um, a couple of folks, and I did some reading on this, I I was looking for a reason why this happened, right? You always look at why Shane Wright, who had been sort of the written in for three years, or three years, goes to number four. Um, And to be fair, for three years, you kind of get picked over over like a fine tooth comb. Probably yeah. there's probably a little bit of, you know, it's just too much attention to it. Yeah. Um, number two, you know, I think there's an expectation from both scouts and from folks who follow the game closely that when you are a projected number one pick that you still are growing and you're growing above your other peers in your class. And it appeared that a lot of scouts agreed that there was nothing that really separated Shane Wright from the other four. And it's not a knock on Shane Wright, but unlike, say, the Connor McDavid draft, the Austin Matthews draft, where you you had a clear number one player that no matter you needed the defense, you needed a goalie, whatever, you, you know, whatever have it, you were picking this player because this was a generational talent. This wasn't this draft, and you sort of touched on it with Logan Cooley um, and New Jersey, where you could have gone with best available, but if you look at positions two through six, there really wasn't a whole lot that separated them. So you go by position of need, yeah. which New Jersey did. So um, it's interesting. I thought that some of the comments, uh, you know, it, were were interesting too. Just to kind of just the way it was presented, I think a lot of people thought, "Oh, this guy must be lazy." And I don't know if it's laziness with yeah, him. No. Just maybe just the way he plays the game. Maybe he's just not um, and guy that plays physical hockey yeah and he he didn't yes he was one of the few guys that granted exceptional status but besides Mm -hmm. that he just he didn't have that extra pop in the year leading up to the draft Uh, and i think sometimes you just you look for that in a number one you know overall potential guy that just has that extra gear when it matters leading up to the draft day but fourth overall i mean 
like we talked about (laughs) yeah in in 10 years could make absolutely no difference and uh the steve dangle podcast made a reference to the 2011 nhl draft where the top four guys were all ranked number one at some point who were they uh number one edmonton ryan nugent hopkins followed by colorado's gabriel landeskog florida's jonathan huberdo who just set a record for most assists by a left winger in an nhl season and number four new jersey's adam larson uh ryan strome mika zibanejad mark shifley sean couturier dougie hamilton jonas rodin rounding out the top 10 how about that one so draft yeah exactly so you know you're talking about you never really know uh until you know and once you know it's it's long gone and long over so again you know we'll have to see uh but you know i wishing all those guys the best what an exciting day for them um and you hope that they do well with their respective teams and will we see a crack in canadians rivalry (laughs) who knows um they're not an offer sheet involved yeah (laughs) Yeah, don't even get me started. Well, let's move back to our pals. Same day, Chicago moved 20, 21-year-old Kirby Doc. How about that? He's been in the league three years. He's 21. Uh, yeah. 2019, third overall to Montreal for the 13th pick. Frank Nazar and sixth, uh, 66th overall picks in the recent draft. So uh, another good pick for Chicago. You never know how they'll pan out. Montreal got the 13th overall pick that they acquired actually in this same trade from the New York Islanders for defenseman Alex Romanov in the 98th overall pick. Um, so Kirby Doc had 26 points in 70 games this season. Romanov on the back end had 13 points in 79 games played. He's age 22. So um, you talk about the direction for the Chicago Blackhawks. Kirby Doc, uh, we'll have to see if he pans out. I think there's a lot of upside to his game, and he's still kind of clay that has yet to be fully molded here um is montreal the right place we'll have to see for some guys it is the right spot and other guys you know the hockey mecca can be a little bit overwhelming so we'll have to see if he can take his game uh to the next level i think he'll do well under marty san louis you know just a guy that you know knows the game inside and out so uh cruising through the rest of what happened on thursday toronto moving peter Mrazek, the 25th overall pick as well which was sam renzel to chicago for the 38th overall pick um Mrazek 3.8 mil a year for two more years um I think it's because you have a couple of UFAs uh, maybe testing the market for Chicago. I've got no idea on the goaltending side, um, but that one was – it was what it was. Uh, yeah. Edmonton, 31-year-old Zach Cassian and the 29th overall pick, which was Maverick Lamoureux. What a great hockey name that is. That's a hell of a name. That's a hell of a name. <laughs> yeah, and a 2024 third rounder and a 2025 second rounder, which is a lot of packaging, to Arizona for the 32nd overall pick, which was Reed Schaefer, who had 32 goals in 66 games for Seattle in the WHL, the final pick of the first round. So kind of a bit of a heavy package from the Oilers and, and uh, Ken Holland, so. but uh, they must have really liked their man that they saw there so um oiler is still in desperate search of a goalie there on that side a couple of teams that aren't as we started friday off by the way second day of the draft detroit sending the 73rd overall pick to st louis for goaltender Ville so i thought this was a fleecing by stevie this Wise. was completely fleeced yeah three years 14.25 million dollars signing for the red wings new netminder 40 games played 25 7 and 6 on the season and a 919 save percentage stevie Y man at it again <laughs> yes he is um and what a goaltending duo now for the red wings uh billy huso and alex nadelkovic uh two younger goaltenders um defense was a big problem for the red wings last year as a whole um so trying to address it that way with maybe a little bit more of a goaltending competition um yeah. i like the move and again uh how about st louis um what about this? And I, I think, <laughs> no, but seriously, no, you're about right, this, though. Yeah. It's interesting because this was where Billy Huso almost, I mean, effectively stole the job over Jordan Bennington. Um, I wouldn't say he kind of faltered in the playoffs, but it wasn't, I mean, he's a, still a young goaltender. So it was kind yeah. of, 
don't know if it was any, I don't know if you want to say it, the word anticipated, but yeah, it happens. It goes back to your Darcy Kemper situation. They signed that man to six mil per season. They got to stick with their guns on this one because that's not a yeah. movable contract right now. Correct. And I think they, they got to say that Bennington's their guy. They kind of handcuff themselves a little bit and they, they lose do. a very good goaltending prospect. They got something in return, but not much. No, uh, not much. Yeah, Washington. Uh, netminder Vitek Vanacek in the 46th overall pick headed to New Jersey for picks 37 and 70. Vanacek, 20 and 12 on the season. A 2.67 goals against average and a 9.08 save percentage. I mean, the save percentage is a little bit low, but not terrible. Uh, this could turn out to be maybe a diamond in the rough for the Devils. And, and Devils are, are looking, uh, again, To you talk about their biggest area of need is in between the pipes. And uh, for Vanacek, yeah. who... Um, competed for the number one job for Washington, um, didn't really take hold of it. Um, he's going to have a really good opportunity in New Jersey to do that uh, in front of a squad that's going to have a lot, a lot of expectations this year. And it could be, uh, let's just say one way or another, some things could be majorly changed there in New Jersey if things don't improve. Could be worse. You could bring Corey Schneider back. Uh, Carolina uh, moved defenseman Tony D'Angelo to Philadelphia for a 2024 second, a 2023 third, and a fourth overall, uh, excuse me, yeah, a fourth round pick, excuse me, from Friday's selections this past Friday. Um, D'Angelo. So much. My God. Well, um, what are you doing? Chuck Fletcher, what a guy. Uh, two years uh, left, $5 million per year. Um, did have 51 points in 64 games, so offensively he's strong. His defensive metrics are not great, and he's no. a polarizing person in general. So, um, yeah, Chuck they Fletcher. Asked, and they asked him about that. Uh, they asked Chuck Fletcher about, you know, the so-called the facade of Tony D'Angelo, and he essentially said something to the tune is like, well, you know, he, uh, yeah, he had some bad stuff in the past, uh, but I think he's he's learned from it, and I think he's over that hump, essentially almost make, making the case of a maturity issue kind of thing. Um, we'll have to see, but uh, that's so many picks for the freaking defense. Anyway, um, I, I that's think, a Chuck Fletcher move. That's a Chuck I, Fletcher move. The Flyers are secretly on fire, and I don't think it's a very well-kept secret at the current moment. Um, yeah, yeah, they're, they're <laughs> burning incineration. Yes, yeah. it's not good. After the draft, really only one trade to talk about. Former Minnesota Wild first-rounder Luke Cunnan from Nashville moving to San Jose for forward John Leonard in a 2023 third-round pick. Cunnan, 22 points this past season. A pending RFA whose qualifying offer right now is $2.3 million. He's 24 years of age. Meanwhile, John Leonard, 23 years of age, 15 points in 58 NHL games. So that was kind of the only notable one at the time of recording. Moving on to the last uh, real tidbit of our show and i know we're running a little bit long in the main portion but this is going to kind of lead us into our extra ice session which is all minnesota wild but we have to start with the backstory before we get to the minnesota wild side of things and that is the big news that has been circulating around uh the nhl and hockey world this past week flyers prospect ivan fedotov now at a remote military base in northern russia with apparently the russian navy as far as we can tell how did this all start who is ivan fedotov a lot of things going on here. We'll break it down. And Nick, I want to get your expose and a half on this one for sure. So, oh boy. Oh, uh, yeah. So, buckle up here. Uh, 25 year old Fedotov, considered one of the top goaltenders in the world outside the NHL, was really raw when the Flyers uh, drafted him in the seventh round. They expected him to compete for a spot on their roster next to Carter Hart next season. A silver medalist as the Russian starting goaltender at the Beijing Olympics um, and led CSKA Moscow to the Gregorian Cup as KHL champion. So, um, 
the kind of a little bit of misconception. So let's clear some of these things up here. So playing hockey, especially for CSKA, which stands for Central Sports Club of the Army, um, which was founded as the Soviet's Army hockey team in 1946, still has some pretty traditional ties to the military even now. Um, playing hockey for them is not considered part of the required now one year of military service required of Russian men. Um, so these tweets originally, originally kind of aired though, from what had happened to Fedotov um, from Carl Manson at Carl underscore KHL on Twitter uh, tweets read this. Um, and there were three of them. Number one, Per Russian media, Fedotov fell ill during the detainment at a military enlistment office. So they, he was training in St. Petersburg and they picked him up essentially. And because he had declared that he wanted to sign with Philadelphia, um, he had to be taken away with an ambulance. Knowing the Russians regime's usual treatment of its own citizens, I hope Fedotov is all right. Fedotov's lawyer said, quote, he doesn't feel very well. He says that he was given some kind of injections, which he does not know. He was told that this was prescribed by a doctor. He doesn't look good, end quote. We don't know much more, but it's worrying when this happens to an athlete in custody. And the final tweet said, Ivan complained of stomach pain and possible poisoning while he was in the military commissariat of St. Petersburg, after which he was taken to a medical institution. This came from a reporter at Match TV. If it is really a poisoning, this will be in line with Putin's regime and horrible. So that's part one of this saga. So let's start with that here, Nick. Obviously, a shitty situation that this kid has just made an example of. And, you know, the NHL's hands are tied. The Flyers' hands are tied. Really, the entire Western world is tied on this one. And Fedotov is just put in a, in a very unfortunate position. And you hope that his one year of service is only indeed one year. But, you know, with everything going on in Russia, obviously, it's difficult. Um, you know, I mean, your first reactions on this. And, and really, you know, what does this mean to the hockey world in light of things that just don't really pertain to how you play the game. It's a political chess piece. It's exactly what this is. Um, and it's sad because you're doing it to a young kid. Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately, from what we know um, of Putin's regime, which I don't know if we really know everything, um, the fact that we can say that this seems to follow a, a behavioral pattern mm -hmm. that part seems to hold true from what we know and i think what's scary about this is again you know we've seen it with uh say alex Novelsky, the, the the lead the opposition leader um that yeah. was recently jailed what a year or two ago maybe um and some of the things that he went through a lot of striking similarities to the way that things are being handled to some of the complaints that we're hearing um, in terms of, you know, being offered injections, I shouldn't say offered, but they were given injections. Um, mm -hmm. this is, this is concerning on a multitude of levels. Now to add a layer to this, Noah, um, from what we are being, from what some of the reporting initially has come up, it sounds like a lot of NHL squads, even the NHL themselves, um, were essentially telling Russian born or Russian bound players to not go back overseas yeah. and effectively this was the fear that someone or some people would be made an example and the reason why i started off this response is by a political chess piece this is exactly mm -hmm. what this is um it's too bad that we have that's you know i think if there's anything that bothers me about social media is when we talk about sports and then all of a sudden 
things happen in the world and we talk about them and it may have a political landscape to that topic and they say stick with sports. Well, last I checked, I still live in the same freaking country that you do and I have every freaking right to talk about it whether you like it or not. Yeah. Um, this affects all of us. Um, and it's sad that somebody who has spent hours and hours trying to perfect his craft that gets a shot that most of us dream of to be drafted and to be a part of an NHL squad is now being used as essentially a political pawn mm-hmm. um, to try to force the hand um, of other governments. Yeah. Um, and this and this could completely derail his career. Like completely. Y- you yes. know, it, it's it, it's terrifying. Now, the Minnesota Wild obviously have a keen interest in this, uh, not only in terms of hockey in general, but their star player, Kirill Kaprizov, mm-hmm. um, and the report coming out the other day, he was denied entrance to the United States twice. Uh, first attempting to enter from Dubai, but then was turned away. Later tried to cross the ocean by way of the Caribbean islands, but still was not permitted entry. So then he did return to Russia. He is safe at home with his family. Um Part of this, it sounds like Kaprizov actually never got a chance to secure his work visa, which they were never given the year before because of the way that the pandemic was still going on at that particular time. So getting people into the country um, was a little bit of a different challenge. Um, Sounds like he was turned away by actually the United States and the Emirates and other countries as opposed to maybe um, trying to get out of Russia. But there were a couple of things that came out of this. And the first uh, coming from Michael Russo, who said, um, you know, asked how concerned um, a source thought that Kaprizov could be forced to remain in Russia. This source, knowledgeable of the ongoings, said that, um, you know, and in Russia, yeah, said that he's not unless it's coming straight from the top. And you know who I mean, if it's coming from Putin and he says Kirill's not going anywhere, then he's not going anywhere. If it comes from anyone else, don't worry about it. But if he comes from the top, that's what's going to happen. Only one person can make him stay. You know, is it possible? There's a small chance, you know, what are you going to do if you're going to make an example of? So we talked about Fedotov, who's going to be in the AHL, um, you know, potentially, or a star that's in the National Hockey League right now. If you want to make the news, you grab the best one you can. If push comes to shove, um, you know, he's in good standing right now. But if push comes to shove and they want to make an example of him, they will. They'll forget about everything else that he's done, all the good things he's done for the country. It's clear Russia's trying to pressure NHL players right now not to leave. Um, this is not going to be exclusive to Kirill Kaprizov. And you talked about it where, you know, a lot of these teams were saying not to go home. And it was kind of somewhat of a laughing stock by a lot of these teams and a lot of players where they're like, mm-hmm. well, we're not, we're so far removed from what's going on in Ukraine and everything that's going on within Russia as well that, you know, why would this affect us? We're just athletes. It's not a laughing matter anymore. No. And that's the, I don't know if you're going to call it the, the tunnel vision by these athletes. And I, I'm not, you know, it's not a disrespectful call by any means, but um, it maybe is a, a slight underestimation of, you know, how you can be a marked person and you may have, yeah. you know, again, you're so far removed from the situation that's happening in Russia. But um, I think you, you don't take into account some of the things that where you can be some political muscle. And Kaprizov yeah. is arguably public enemy number one, quote unquote, if you're going to be Vladimir Putin and you really want to put a statement down, if you are trapped in a corner and you want to make something happen, this guy's right. And I don't know. Here's a, And here's the thing that I don't agree with. I don't think it just comes from Putin. I don't think yeah. that. I don't think it's only that person. Um, I think that there is some some uh some communication within 
Russia that yeah. is making some people feel more relaxed, then I think it actually is a lot more strenuous yeah. than I think they're being led yeah. to believe. And we talk about really the oligarchy, the really kind of that groove of people uh, and Putin's most trusted people. And that, I think, has put a lot of athletes and a lot of others at a difficult spot where either they don't want to say anything or they're almost, like you mentioned, being put in a position where they're relaxed and feel like they can say something and stand up to it. And then it turns out that they're essentially being kind of set up a little bit. Yeah. And I, I think that's the fear. I think that's the fear is, you know, you know, the athletes themselves um, feel like they're scotch free. And the reality is, you know, when you have the, the, you know, the history that Putin does in his regime, you have the way that they will essentially utilize any method to get what they want, um, there's nothing that's safe in this situation. And again, um, when you are interfering with a multi-billion dollar business as the NHL and marketing power and the Minnesota Wild, right? And I don't have to tell anybody of our listeners this, the Minnesota Wild are not the same team if Kaprizov was not on the ice. Um, yeah. Despite the public comments, don't tell me that there is some panic and some night sweats that are happening every single night um, in St. Paul, as well as the NHL offices in New York and in, and in Toronto. This is, and you hope that you hope that we look back on this in a couple of months, though, and we maybe laugh about it because nothing came to it. But this, unfortunately, with Fedotov, it's proven that there's a reason to worry, and it could yeah. be. And the, the real question is, is who's next? And that's yeah. that's the scary part. Yeah, definitely. And someone that maybe is potentially very well known within uh, the National Hockey League. So uh, with that, we are going to wrap up the main portion of the show. We do have a little bit of a small piece to touch on Nick later in our extra ice session. We are going to talk all things Minnesota Wild and talk about the week that they've had, some maybe angry goaltenders as well, and how the NHL draft went for the squad. Dry session here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Myself, Noah Grant, alongside Nick Maxson. You can find him at the Puckscribe on Twitter. Myself at SCSU Hockey 91. Uh, the Minnesota Wild, they signed some players. They drafted some players. They're arguing a little bit. And like you mentioned, there's a lot of worry going on within this club about some of their personnel. So let's start uh, with kind of the first news that came out this past week. Um, love this signing by the team. Uh, Minnesota adding defenseman Jake Middleton, three years, $2.45 million per year, uh, 26 years of age completed his first full season in the national hockey league between the sharks playing heavy minutes and then the minnesota wild being essentially a second pairing defenseman ish however you want to kind of call, yeah. call it um yeah the top four yeah love this signing love it yeah great signing um really paired well with spurgeon um a right shot defenseman who's i think picked up a little bit more of the offensive ability that uh was kind of scouted on by the minnesota wild in the playoffs um and uh, again, I think just a great kind of almost a natural fit um, there yeah. with the club. So I think uh, that in a great term, great value for both Middleton as well as the team. Um, it was a no brainer, I think, to a lot of folks following the situation and glad that Bill Guerin and the Wild got it done. Yeah, excited, obviously, uh, for that signing. Uh, another one that uh, maybe was a little bit eye-catching for a variety of reasons. Let's start with number one here. The Wild bringing back Marc-Andre Fleury, two years, $3.5 average annual value at age 37. Um, he has made the playoff for 16 straight seasons, which is the longest streak by a goaltender in National Hockey League history. Um, 
Cam Talbot, uh, he didn't like that. <laughs> at least that's what we're led to believe. Yeah, one year left at $3.66 million. So this uh, is coming uh, first thing here uh, per Elliot Friedman. Uh, Cam Talbot's representatives have met with general manager Bill Guerin a couple of times on the weekend, and Guerin has said publicly he wants to bring them both back. Talbot, he hasn't spoken yet, um, but the word is he's definitely unhappy and the message has been conveyed. So Talbot's agent, um, George Bezos, um, to TSN's Pierre Lebrun had stated, we both stated our positions and Billy Garen has a lot to think about. And I love this. Uh, GM Bill Garen to, to Michael Russo of The Athletic, he says, I don't have shit to do. Uh, Cam Talbot's under contract. George can say whatever the hell he wants. My team's set right now and that's the way it goes. We can have all the discussions we want. Cam's a member of our team. We really like Cam. All we're trying to do is win. So uh, Cam Talbot went 32-12-4 with a 9-11 save percentage, uh, lost his lone game in the postseason, allowing four goals in game six. He hadn't played in two weeks um, yeah, before that, that, that point. Won't, that won't help. Yeah, Marc-Andre Fleury, 9-2 since joining the Wild, and 9-10 save percentage during that time. Um, a 9.06 save percentage and a 3.06 goals against average going two and three in the postseason. So, um, you know, and I, I can understand Talbot being uh, – understandably chapped that Dean Everson didn't play him more in the playoffs after having an all-star season. Um, and that's kind of my position. You know, you had an all-star season next year's a new leaf. If you want to be the number one guy, go out and earn it. Um, you know, but Mark Andre Fleury, a big namesake, obviously going to drive some ticket revenue, at least a little bit, I think. Uh, and, you know, maybe has a chance to maybe push to be that guy. I mean, he is a year and change removed from a Vesna winning season. So, um, you know, I think it's a great one-two tandem if Cam Talbot can find a way to find where he's supposed to be in this mix. But, uh, I mean, is this all overblown, or are the boys going to figure it out? Is there some dog fighting in the clubhouse here, Nick? Here's here's my thing. And as we know, goaltenders are different breeds. That's just the name <laughs> of the game, um, a.k.a. Ilya Brisgolf, and just don't be around bears. Um, but – when you bring in Mark Rondy Fleury at the trade deadline, don't tell me that Cam Talbot had to think, okay, sure, they're bringing another guy in. This guy's a, he's won a couple cups. All right. This is probably still my net. I can understand why Cam's upset. He had a hell of a season. He had an all-star season. Um, at the end of the day, this isn't something that is, he shouldn't have any fodder against Mark Andre Fleury. He shouldn't have, if anything, it should be fodder on for Dean Everson. Because mm-hmm. um, again, with Billy G is, I've got a one A and a one A two, essentially yeah. in in my back pocket. I've goaltending <laughs> for me is not going to be an issue. The new the newest Midwestern steak sauce. Right, um, <laughs> but it's you know this goes back to Dean Everson um, to how does he handle this tandem? It's going to be interesting. Um, because they're both, as we've seen, very capable goaltenders. Um, do they split it 50-50? Do, or do they start there and then does one take over the helm? I think the bigger question, Noah, is say Cam Talbot is so unhappy or say his numbers drop, do you trade him? Um, and if you do, you have Fleury left one more year. I know you're trying to essentially buy time for Jesper Wallstead, um, their first-round pick from last year, but... As we know in the hockey world, the latest development player position is the goaltending position. Um, I, are the Wild playing with fire here a bit? I, almost a little bit. But at the end of it, why why wouldn't you want 
yeah. a great goaltending duo as a teammate to know that, okay, someone falters, I got someone to pick up or someone gets injured. Um, it's competition, you know, and right. And that's the thing is like Cam Talbot, regardless of the season he had last year. Yeah. He was an all-star and he was an all-star with a nine eleven save percentage. Yeah. Um, you know, he had a great season last year. I think it's surely to be said, you know, he's entering his age 35 season and he's entering a contract year regardless, regardless of how he played with Minnesota, he still has to earn it this year, regardless of if Marc-Andre Fleury was there or not. And part of me is kind of like, as a hockey player, uh, you have a unique position um, for the most part, a little bit less in the NHL because general managers and head coaches obviously have an input in that particular situation. Sure. But you have a unique situation compared to fans and armchair GMs alike in where you can actually do something about it. You can actually bring that pent-up frustration into the way you play, and you can make a difference uh, for better or, wor or worse in your own situation there. And, uh, you know, I think that's just what Cam Talbot has to do. I mean, he can come in and completely earn a spot and be the guy and play 60 games this season and relegate Marc-Andre Fleury to a very expensive backup role. You know, we'll never know until we really get the season rolling. But um, the boys are going to have to figure it out. And like you mentioned, I think most Wild fans are excited to have that 1A, 1B tandem. And knowing that on any given night, you might have a goalie that gives you a chance to win. I think Marc-Andre Fleury is a slight overpay, but I think that was something that had to be had for him to stay in Minnesota. He got his money. Um, now we're going to have to see uh, if he can be, you worth know, money. yeah, worth the money. And he's also somebody that should, uh, in a year and a half, should the Wild maybe not be a contender with their salary cap issues. He's a guy that can maybe be offloaded to a team and have one more run at a Stanley Cup, you know. So um, a, lot, a lot of options for Minnesota here that – are both good and bad, you know, depending yeah. on how this all shakes out. It's going to be intriguing. Um, Minnesota now has $1.434 million in cap space, Nick. Uh, Marco Rossi is expected to make the jump, which is about 875 k leaving uh, more room for someone else to jump in. Sounds like Nick Delorier is garnering, garnering a lot of interest and is definitely going to test the free agent marks, market, as is Nick Bukestad. Um, you know, first of all, right now as it sits, what does Minnesota do with that cap space, if anything? Do they have to offload one of these defensive contracts that they just signed, for example, a Kulikov type thing? What do they do at the forward position? Can they really do anything? $1.4 is not enough cap space. Yeah. Um, it is not because you got to remember, too, for call-ups and, and all these other things, that is part of your cap calculation. It's a big reason why a lot of financial squads have hired literally like salary cap experts to yeah. deal with this on a daily basis. Cause you gotta remember too, the salary cap number is almost like daily interest. Um, it's something that's calculated daily. Yeah, it fluctuates a lot. It fluctuates a lot. So, you know, a lot of teams have gone to experts in this field. Um, but what I can tell you that doesn't need an expert opinion is 1.4 is not enough cushion for injuries, call ups. It just isn't. So, I think the spotlight a little bit turns on to Matt Dumba a little bit, or does it turn to Kalen Addison, yeah. right? Um, so you so you feel like that Bill Guerin has something left up his sleeve here? I think you almost do. Um, question is, is and, and it's tough because Matt Dumba has served very admirably for this squad. He's definitely not the same defenseman he was when I think he was at his best two years ago before that chest injury. He's just not been the same since then. Yeah. Um, but then again, if he knows that, so does the rest of the league, which means, you know, can you offload a $6 million contract, even though it's only a one-year term? A lot of teams, again, are against the cap. 
um, even without um, some really tough, um, you know, salary recapture situations that Minnesota is in. Um, this is a tough call. Um, and I, I, yeah, we pick Matt Dumma because he's been sort of the lightning rod of this. But um, you mentioned Dmitry Kulikov um, as another option. Um, who knows? Uh, but I do feel there's more that can be done here. Um, and I think the Minnesota Wild are going to have to create some other cap space uh, because, again, that's just not enough to get you through the season. Yeah, our last topic before we really break down what was arguably a pretty good draft for the Minnesota Wild, I thought. Mm -hmm. um, and you mentioned some tough decisions. Uh, Nick, obviously, uh, a guy who signed for four more seasons, including this upcoming one here. Um, we talked about it a little bit in the main show, but I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on this because, uh, albeit it's something that we don't want to think about and something that we hope hope to gosh never happens, Uh what do the Wild do if Kirill Kaprizov doesn't return next season but is still under contract? This is not just a team question. This is an NHL question um, because let's just say he, that he, he is fed a top 2.0 um, and yeah. it gets sent up to the same Russian naval base, right? Um, the league has to look at this in terms of, okay, first of all, do you still get to pay him? Does his salary still count against the cap yeah because because theoretically he's technically missing time as a player like he's technically not attending team events technically yeah so do you slide the contract a year um do you burn the year of the contract um there is i would imagine a team in the nhl office working on this exact plan um we both know that this team is not the same without Kaprizov. And depending on what the NHL would have in place, and I would hope that they would have something in place as a worst-case doomsday scenario for this, is what can we give as like an exemption or something to allow Minnesota to do something. That's $9 million in cap space that I would think they would have to allow Minnesota to spend because especially right. if he's being held, you can't touch it. He's in and, Russia. Ain't going to do it. And that's where the fear is uh, multifold. Obviously you want him back here being able to play the game of hockey, but should he not? And you have that money to technically potentially spend if the NHL lets you as well too, it might only and hopefully would be in that situation for a year. So you don't really have anything that you can right. do long-term with that either. And how about this? That's assuming this is bookended nicely. Say yeah. this happens a couple months in, and all of a sudden he's released and he's allowed back in the U.S. Then what happens? Yeah. Um, this is a very dynamic and very complicated situation. Um and I just, I mean, you'd have to find something to replace the offense. Oh, wait, we just traded that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm triggering wild fans. It's fine. Um, had to do it. I get it. But yeah. at the end of it, I don't know if we know the answer to this. And, I, and yeah. I'll, I'll say this. I hope we never have to. I hope that we never have to in the like say five or six weeks end of august state fair time right here in the the great uh, state of minnesota that we are not having to contemplate nhl exemption rules for players that are stuck in russia i mean alex ovechkin 
from what we understand is over there as well. Um, so this isn't just like a pre-soft question. There's multiple other Russian athletes that are in Russia currently that may be subject to this, hopefully a situation that um, we won't have to ever deal with, but maybe where they can't come back to the U.S. And so yeah. we're going to have to wait and see. Um, but that would put um, a nice giant bow for a lot of the uh, Minnesota Wild doubters out there on mm. Um, the buyouts of Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter. Um, how Minnesota this would this yeah. be to finally get your star plane of all those the COVID situations happen, yeah. and then this you know a, a, a geopolitical event that it's out of your control, mm. but is taking away your best star player. This is a Minnesota thing to happen, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, a tumultuous situation, and it kind of obviously is worrisome that Kaprizov's name is the first one that's really kind of out there in bulk as far as NHL superstars or current NHL players. But like you mentioned, hopefully we hear, you know, for state fair time or around there at least, and hopefully we're celebrating more than just uh, the great corn dogs. I. Uh, you know things Pronto to celebrate. No, yeah, no. Pops. yeah. Um, <laughs> things to, things to celebrate though. As we hit our last topic of the show, Corey Pronman, uh, writer for the Athletic, did rank uh, the 2022 Minnesota Wild draft class, um, and we're going to react to that here. So um, I'm going to go from the back end up uh, and kind of go uh, backwards from the picks that the Minnesota Wild have had. Uh, the 2004 five foot ten, 181 pound Servak Petrovsky, 181 pounds. Um, Kind of has a chance outside looking in here. So um, solid all around forward. Um, has a chance. Uh, kind of a, is a dynamic guy with a lot of assets. Um, so a later round uh, potential. Never discount those later rounds. Just ask Kirill Kaprizov fans. Um, you know, ask but, Pavel Datsuk and Henry Zetterberg. Yeah, so a bit of an undersized guy, but really plays with a lot of speed and skill. So he's kind of interesting uh, and a good little guy to take a chance on in the later rounds at 185th overall. And how about um, this real quick? Just to give you a comparison, Sam Hench is with a seventh round pick as well. Yeah. So, so I, I I heard he played for some college team that we like. Uh 153. Uh David Spacek, um, which just sounds like a hockey name. Um it is it. Yeah. Yeah. Yaroslav Spacek's son. Yeah. yeah. Uh, smart two smart two way defenseman. Um I Kind of so-so ties, not a lot of offensive upside, so NHL rule kind of a bit questionable, um, but we'll have to see the 2003 six foot zero, 174-pound uh, defenseman there. Um, at number 121, this is moving into, uh, I believe, round, round four. four. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Healy, uh, Sioux Falls in the USHL, six foot oh as well, 172 pounds, a 2004. Um, uh, pretty a little bit more of a clear NHL talent, a good skater, good speed, um, pushes the pace really well, um, good hands, very creative with the puck, kind of a playmaking guy, um, but the hockey IQ side is a little bit lacking and defensively a little bit stronger on the puck, you know, things that are teachable, uh, you know, which is an exciting piece here. So, um, you know, maybe a potential upside in that round as well, too. So, uh, September 21st, 2002, that's the birth date of our next guy at 5'10", 185. Um, Michael Milne of uh, Winnipeg uh, in the WHL, uh, 19 years of age, a little bit older in this draft class um, after going undrafted the previous season. Um, a pretty intellectual forward um, and a very gritty forward at that. Kind of, you know, maybe reminds me of maybe like a Yol Erickson Eck a little bit, a guy that battles, you know, maybe isn't the fastest guy out there. Um, you kind of wonder about the skill set, though, and that was the knock on Erickson Eck for a long time is does he have the, 
the dynamic skill to be able to be a producer in the National Hockey League. So, um, you know, that kind of uh, pushes us in in a little bit. I believe that's uh, rounds three through six right there. So, mm-hmm. Nick, uh, as we kind of get to that point, is there anybody that really stands out to you? Or, you know, do you have any thoughts about these guys? Obviously, the lower tier guys, a lot harder to project. I mean, it's all difficult, but I think especially as you get into the the lesser known, so to speak, it becomes a little bit more interesting. It does. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, they're draft picks. Um, you know, they, they have, you're, you're betting on not what they're now, but what they can build, what they can, what their ceiling is, right? So um, it's exciting times. Um, I, I like the fact that there was, I think, only two defensemen that were drafted. Um, so a lot of forwards in this draft, not a single goaltender in Minnesota Wild picked because, well, they seem to have their guy from last year. Um, so, um, but one thing that's concerning, and I think we'll address this more from the, in the top two rounds here, is um, there's still a position to meet that they still really haven't addressed yet. Um, no, at least uh, at least from the, the immediate side of things. But um, again, I like the picks. I think Judd Brackett, again, the director of amateur scouting, does a great job. Um, and uh, no complaints from here on rounds uh, three through seven. Yeah, like you mentioned, uh, a center in round seven, a right-hand defenseman in round six, another right-hand defenseman in round five, and then a left winger in round number four. So uh, that position has only been addressed once. Uh, take a look, guess which one that is. And hey, it was in the later round so far. Uh, yeah. Left wing coming in at number 56, the second pick of round number two from Okotoks in the AJHL, Riga Lorenz. Uh, actually, Okotoks, uh, one of the former Minot Minotauros that played last season playing in that same league too. So uh, 2004, six foot two, 194, big body here. Yeah. Um, you know, a top scoring forward in the league representing Canada in the U18s and is committed to the University of Denver. So NCHC fans are going to get a good long look yes, at this player. Um, a big winger that actually has a pretty soft set of hands and a really nice release on his shot. Um, maybe relies on it a bit too much um, and is an okay skater. Um, you know, maybe a bottom six guy, uh, you know, bottom nine guy. Um, potentially in the National Hockey League. But as we know, the NCHC is a breeding ground for some really good development. And, hey, why don't you join uh, the defending national champions? Why don't you? Uh, big big day for Denver in the draft deal. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, what big day for them. Uh, if you ask Alex Micheletti, uh, the Mavericks as well from Minnesota State, but who, who really cares about that? Um <laughs> I, I don't. Yeah. Uh, how about number forty-seven? Uh, Hunter Height, uh, Barry in the OHL. Another two thousand four at five foot ten, one seventy-four. Um, you know, he's a guy that his skating isn't the greatest, but his hockey sense compete. Uh, you know, the way he handles the puck. Um, he didn't really have the biggest year, I think, that guys, uh, you know, were kind of expecting. Um, you know, did did go to the U eighteen camp for Canada. Um, a good one-on-one player uh, with the puck skills as well, um, and a guy that thinks really well in all areas of the ice, especially the perimeter. Kind of a, is a guy who creates offense, so to speak. And uh, those guys don't exactly grow on trees. So um, a little bit undersized, uh, but and has a lot of skill. But uh, you know, he's a guy that maybe has a little bit more work to do to kind of fill into his body and really generate that NHL power in your body that is uh for a lot of guys uh who play in the nhl hard work and god given a good healthy mix of both um yep. so uh, at number 47 here those are your second round selections nick uh is there uh is there any thoughts that you have on these two guys uh you have a centerman at number 47 and a left winger in rieger lorenz 
you know, the thing that intrigues me is when you talk about the selections um, where they're undersized, 5'10", but yet they have this dog compete level. Um, yeah. Reminds me of someone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you can't teach that. That's the thing that's unteachable when I mean, you talked about, you know, rounds three through seven and, you know, how there's definitely still some room for growth in the game, right? Even at, you know, a number one overall pick, they're not perfect players. They enter um, their professional hockey careers. And, you know, as a smaller player in the NHL, the way that the game has sort of evolved, especially the last 15 years, right? There's more room for players of that size. And especially if you're not afraid to get your nose dirty a little bit. And I love the fact that when you talk about a player that is 5'10", he's still got some good meat. Was it 180 or 175? Yeah. Uh, back to the profile. Um, the yeah, one, he, 174 for Hunter Height and then 194 for regular rents. Okay, so 174 for, um, for Hunter. Um, I still think that, you know, there's a big ceiling there. Um, one of the big things about the number one overall pick that they liked, and we talked about this earlier, was the fact that he was a guy that he was a competitor. He was a battle dog. Um, and if you can have that and just refine some skill, um, he's going to be a solid player. Um, and again, you can't teach that willingness and that just taking on the initiative to go into a corner or to be able to battle in front of the net. You just don't teach that. It's just something that you just decide to do the stick handling work, the skating, um, you know, you can go to the weight room, those things you can control, but a lot less of the control in terms of the battle, um, willingness. Um, so I'd love to see that, um, in the second round pick. And that's something that jumped out to me. Minnesota Wild uh, talking about how they got both their guys they wanted in the first round. Uh, let's start uh, from the front end backwards because the intriguing pick, I think, is at 24. But the number 19 pick coming from the Los Angeles Kings and the Kevin Fiala deal. That's the last time we'll mention it, I promise. Um, Liam Ogren uh, from the Sweden Swedish Junior League. Uh, a January 04, six foot one, 201 pounds. That's an NHL body in the making yes, there. Um, kind of projected as maybe a middle six guy. Um, player comparable as Alex Iafalo. Um, a goal per game player in the J20 league in Sweden. Um, limited minutes in the SHL as well. Um, played for Sweden's U18 team and the U20 team in November. So uh, a good goal scorer, but really the, the kind of uh, – traits for him that are exciting is he scores in a variety of ways from a variety of different situations um you know generates a lot of offense in high danger areas which he should um and he's a smart puck mover but uh he, he he's he's a shooter and kind of a bulldog in the corners and that's exactly what alex iafalo was uh both uh hey in the nhl and maybe a little bit before it uh if you know what i mean so uh yes. it's skating is all right again we talked about kind of a bigger body for his age group um, and it is a pure finisher a little bit in a lot of respects, a good hard F1 who maybe puts around some grease pan goals around the net, maybe hung around with Dave Shayak a little bit. And we didn't know it. So, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, he's an interesting pick here. So let's talk about each of these picks individually. Liam Ogren, um, you know, maybe wasn't a guy that maybe stuck out on the draft board. Um, but he's a guy that projects maybe as a solid player. Uh, it kind of fits the Minnesota wild brand a little bit. He does, and uh, I, believe, I believe I looked at his stats correctly, 33 goals uh, last season. So he was a uh, still a pretty good producer putting the puck in the net. And you talk about scoring in all areas or in all situations, right? 
So let's extrapolate that a little bit. That means the coaches are trusting him on special teams. Probably they're probably trusting him in late game situations and tight games. He's one that was, he was captain of the Swedish junior uh, world junior squad. So he's got leadership ability. So there's a lot to like about this pick. Um, again, he's got the body um, to be able to compete in the NHL. Um, probably still needs to put on a little bit more pounds, but, uh, and again, the skating, right? Um, if there's anything we learned this year is that, well, skating can be one of the biggest weapons that are out there. Um, just ask the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Colorado Avalanche. They'll tell you exactly what they mean. Um, and there's, I don't know if it's a concern yet. Again, skating can be refined. You know, you get to this level, um, you have skating coaches that will really pick apart your stride and tell you how you can get, uh, one or two more MPHs per stride. So I'm not that worried about it, but a natural finisher who can create, um, space for himself as well as other players who can uh, definitely go into the corners and battle and keep possession of the puck. That's huge. In today's NHL, it's all about possessing the puck. Um, so really like this pick um, down at number 19. And again, uh, when you're a captain and you have that natural leadership um, or you are carrying your, your team uh, in the World Juniors, that says a lot about his character off the ice as well. Yeah, the one guy that might define this draft for the Minnesota Wild is sitting at number 24, and he's the guy that I think a lot of people have eyes on, Daniela Yurov um, from Magnitogorsk uh, in the KHL, and I think that contract scared away a lot of people. Um, kind of was a bubble player, um, one of the better teams in the KHL, and then also played um, for a top MHL team as well in the in the junior ranks too. Um, three goals and four points at the U24 Nations Tournament. Um, U20 team for Russia as well, a point-per-game player in the junior league the previous season and scored 11 points in seven games at the U18s as well. So a guy who's got some serious high-end skill, um, a Troy Terry comparable for those who are wondering for some college hockey pieces, six foot one, 178. A nice comparison right now. Yeah, December 2003. And he's a guy that, uh, you know, is a good penalty killer as well, projects as maybe a potential top six forward, second line guy. Um, it really was kind of projected as a top 10 guy in the draft. But like we talked about, I think the KHL contract is kind of scary. And Minnesota, the Minnesota Wild potentially really deepened their prospect pool with this pick. Um, and also, uh, you know, you have Kuro Kaprizov there as a countryman as well in that respect. So um, he's a guy that obviously is a bit of a wild card where he's got a lot of uh, high-end skill, a good, good puck handler, um, you know, good a hockey IQ, um, very, very strong in the puck in the way that he's in the weight room and is a pretty good skater. Nothing overly dramatic, but, you know, has all the tools in the toolbox and one that's really exceptional in the way he handles the puck and creates. Uh, and he's a producer. He's a guy who gets it done at every level, especially the international stage, which is something that you like, especially guys uh, that are not in the Western Hemisphere. So, Nick, I... Uh, this pick could define the draft, but right now for the Wild, how does it, how does it define number 24 overall? It defines that they see a high ceiling with the guy. Um, it says that, you know, and I, I was able to watch some film on him too, and uh, what a release. Holy buckets. Um, it's yeah. lightning quick. Um, but beyond the stuff that you, you sort of maybe stare at a player at, um, but also away from the puck, he knows how to find space. Um, he's got a good instincts in passing. Um, you talk about a good skater. Um, definitely saw that on film. Um, but also you mentioned, too, this guy's a guy that was a utilitarian player. He could play in all different mm -hmm. situations. Um, so he could be that, again, top six player if he continues to develop. Um, the KHL contract situation, I think, is a little bit overblown. Um, it probably is a little bit more, has a little bit more merit just 
because of other things that are happening right now. Um, but for him to be able to play against men uh, effectively, and if he can refine some of that skill and maybe get a little bit more, uh, you could say, meat on the frame, um, yeah. he could be a very well-rounded forward by the time he comes over here to the United States. Um, so this is a very intriguing pick. Um, it, it screams almost boomer bust uh, for yeah. the wild. Um, I, the Liam Ogram pick was the safer pick. I was, at just, I was just about to say that. It's the yeah. well-rounded pick, you yes. know. And uh, 24 is like you have house money because it's an extra first-round pick, and you you decided to maybe take a splash with it. And I think yeah, if, all, if everything falls right, that could be a very nice splash for the wild, meaning splashes of pucks in the back of opposing netminders. Yeah, and they had that luxury too. You know, this is, you know, the pick at 24 is one of those picks that maybe you have the 35th overall pick and you trade that and maybe a prospect to maybe move up because you see the guy still on the board that's supposed to be a top 10 or 12 pick in the draft and he's still there for whatever reason. And you take a chance on that too. Let's not forget, um, you know, this is obviously a little bit higher up in the draft, but, you know, a guy like Cole Caulfield was expected to be like a top six, top seven guy. Certainly has panned out well for Montreal, especially in the second half of last season. He didn't go until number 15. The Minnesota Wild actually passed on him for Marco Rossi, which was which could still um, pay dividends uh, for the Minnesota Wild, too. But, you know, there's a lot of pieces to like here, I think, for Minnesota. You mentioned Judd Brackett's scouting ability, and uh, Corey Promen gave the Wild a B-plus. And uh, I think I'm right there, maybe more close on the B side because you really never know when you get kind of in the those lower tiers. But the number 24 pick is going to hinge on a lot of that rating. I think as well too. So Nick, do you have any parting thoughts about the Minnesota wild in general, not only the draft, but just what's been going on? Uh, one pick away from Snuggerud. Yeah, no, I know. I, well, I think, I think that was another guy that I think uh, um, a, a lot of Minnesota wild fans and Minnesota wild brass had their eye on as well too. But mm -hmm. uh, you know, they picked at 24, not at 23. So, and of course, it's a division rival at 23. St. Louis, for those who didn't follow the draft, picked up Snuggerud at 23. How did, how did their playoff go? Uh, well, better than ours. <laughs> uh, just, just, just ask uh, Cam Talbot. Right. Uh, I guess party thoughts. Uh, first of all, a lot of stuff to talk about, which is Holy great. Crap, yeah. um, and the fact that we condensed it into just over 90 minutes is kind of impressive. That's not bad. Um, but still, uh, free agency starts one Wednesday, so this will likely be another lengthy show this next upcoming week. Um, you know, again, Johnny Goudreau, um, rumored to be offered a nine and a half million dollar contract by the Calgary Flames. It sounds like Goudreau may be headed to market, um, which would surprise me slightly. Um, yeah, maybe on some other uh, factions, maybe not. Um, there's going to be a lot of movement this offseason, um, and so uh, this will be a very probably a free agent heavy uh, show for us next week. I can't wait to see it, um, yeah. and definitely more interested to see uh, some of the other um, free agents from Minnesota Wild, uh, whether Delorier, Fun, Bukestad, and uh, does Minnesota also, with uh, them being a little bit more crunched than they should be, uh, do they open up some cap space? Do they make additional moves? It's uh, all coming up here in about a matter of what. 72 to no, geez, 96 hours. Yeah, 96 hours. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. It should be interesting. You wonder if maybe uh, 
wildcard Los Angeles might have been on the block for Johnny Gaudreau had they not made the Kevin Fiala deal. I mean, they just kind of threw threw $8 million out there like it was chump change a little bit. So, yeah. uh, But I guess we'll have to see a lot of exciting things like you mentioned to talk about. Uh, some other important dates for those watching the YouTube, you've been able to see them on the bottom of the show. But just a reminder for people, uh, the Minnesota Wild preseason action gets underway on 9-25, as does the St. Cloud State women's hockey team at the tail end of September. And then the men, October 1st, uh, getting underway with their games as well. So a lot of things that we are excited to cover as we move forward. Uh, Nick, uh, yeah, a lot of big news uh, for Nick Maxson. I'm Noah Grant, and we will see you in the den next week. One-timer coming, they score! Ripped in! Fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.